too many things going on at the moment. I'm trying to get uh, the Stafford sorted out so they could catch the live stream. Um, I couldn't quite get that done. I do have a thank you note that I would like to read to you. It's from the Beckleys. It says, Dear friends at Calvary Baptist Church in Preble, we are very blessed by your love, prayers on our behalf, and consistent monetary support. Thank you for the gift of 222.85 in December. This new year, 2023, seems to be speeding ahead with Ken teaching Bible school students, fine-tuning Dendi Old Testament translation, and opening our home to university students. All after a wonderful two-week visit from our two sons, Mark and Andrew, in January. Please pray with us for our four sons to have tender hearts to God's leading in their lives. Pray with us for more open doors to reach the Dendi people and for the translators and Ken to be able to make great strides towards completion of the Dendi Old Testament. With grateful hearts, Ken and Sarah Beckley. So continue to pray for the Beckleys in their service, in their ministry amongst the, the Dendi tribe <coughs> over in, I think it's um, Cote d'Ivoire or in that area. So continue to pray for them and the ministries that they have open to them uh, and the blessings that God has poured out upon them. All right, we're going to continue our study in characters of faith. We've been studying over the last couple of weeks uh, men and women who have been faithful, who have served the Lord well, and who have demonstrated their faith. So as we think about the demonstration of faith, we want to strive to make that a reality in our lives as well. We want to be individuals who serve well, who serve the Lord, uh, even when we might find ourselves in difficult times or serve him during the easy times. Um, as we've worked our way through these individuals, we have seen that their, mar their lives are marked by faith more often than not. Does that mean they're perfect? No. They're not perfect, but that's good news for you and I. If God considered them to be people of faith, even though they were not perfect, you and I can have the same truth in our lives. We, can, we know we're not perfect, right? Like I, I, I should speak for myself, right? Okay? I know that I'm not perfect. In fact, Scripture teaches us that none of us are perfect. Okay? So the good news is that even if we're not perfect, we can still be called and seen as people of faith. So over the couple of weeks, we've been looking and thinking about what faith is. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to define it, okay? Because I think you've got it wrapped up. You know what it is. But actually, I am going to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about the idea of why faith is necessary in the life of a child of God. Why is it necessary for you, a follower of Jesus, to live by faith, to demonstrate faith, to have faith. So um, last night my wife was going through some of the stuff on the Proclaim and she says, man, that's a lot of slides in that sermon for tomorrow. Well, yeah, there's a lot of slides, but there's not a lot of blanks. So you get the pluses and the minuses, okay? Um, but what we're going to do this morning as we get started with our message, I'm going to read several verses for you. Each verse is going to be an explanation or a reason why you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to be people of faith. Why is it that our faith is important as we serve the Lord, as we live out our Christian life? So here's the first one. You know it well. It's from the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11:6 6 says this, And without faith... 
It is impossible to please him, for he who, become, who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So as you look through that verse and you think about it, I want you to tell me what is it that is important about our faith in that verse. Why is it important for you and I to have faith in this verse, Hebrews eleven six? Shout it out. I got to stay over here. To please the Lord. Perfect. That's the right answer. You and I, if we want to please God, we must have faith. Next verse, Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. Matthew 15, 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, just a little bit of the background there. This is a Canaanite woman who has come to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal her daughter. Now, you know what it's like as a Canaanite to be in Jewish territory, okay? They, they didn't see each other as friends or, or buddies. They were enemies, Okay, so this Canaanite woman took her life in her hands, traveled into Jewish territory, Israelite territory, and asked Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, to heal her daughter. She took some flack for that, you better believe. Okay, another verse I want you to think about along the same, thinking about the same reason to please God or to have faith. Matthew 14, 31, we read this. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, you know this story as well. It's Peter walking on the water. The storm is raging and the disciples, Jesus had told the disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. I'm going to stay here for a little bit. Okay, so they get out in the middle of the sea and the storm kicks up and, and they're panicking. They're, oh no, we're going to die. Why did Jesus send us out here? We don't know what to do. These guys are fishermen. It's not the first storm they've been in, but they panic. And along, they look out into the, the, the storm and they see this figure coming closer and closer and closer to them. And eventually they notice, and they say, it's Jesus. He's coming to us. He's walking on the water. So Peter says, Lord, can I come? Can I, can I get out of the boat and come to you? Can I walk on the water too? In other words, can I play Jesus? Can I, can I be part of this too? And Jesus says, come on, Peter, walk on. So Peter gets out of the boat and he's looking at Jesus. He's walking on the water. And all of a sudden he sees and he feels the significance of the storm. And Peter gets his eyes off of Jesus and he starts looking around. He's like, oh no. What am I doing out here? Am I stupid? Am I crazy? And as soon as he gets his eyes off Jesus, what happens? He starts to sink. So Jesus reaches out and he grabs him by the hand. Don't you love it? It says, he caught him. He caught him. And he said, why did you doubt? Why did you stop trusting me? So what is the importance here? Why is it so important for us to have faith? Well, here we see Jesus takes note of the amount of faith we have. He said to the Canaanite woman, you have great faith. Great is your faith. To Peter, he says, oh, you only have a little bit of faith. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, 
there's a key observation here. Peter's faith shrunk in relationship to where his focus was. His focus was on Jesus. His faith was great. He got his focus off of Jesus, and his faith began to shrink. Became almost nothing. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus knows, and he takes note of how much faith we have as we live our life for him. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Think about it as I read it. You tell me what is important about our faith here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Again, you know the story. Let me give you a little bit of the background. This man was crippled and he had some really great friends. His friends knew that if they could get him to Jesus, Jesus could heal him. So here they are, they're traveling, and they bring him on his little mat, and they get to the place, and there's a line going way back. Oh no, by the time we get him to Jesus, Jesus might not even be here anymore. So they become creative. They take their, their friend, they get him up on the roof, they, they pull off the roof tiles, and they lower him down on a mat right in front of Jesus. And Jesus is impressed with their creativity, their ingenuity, but mostly with their faith. And he says to them, son, your sins are forgiven you. What's important about having faith there? Yeah, because of faith, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. Remember what James tells us over in James chapter 2, verse 5. He says, let him ask in faith, no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. These four guys that were lowering their friend down through the roof, the hole in the roof that they just made, they didn't doubt the ability of Jesus to heal them, to heal him. They were fully confident. They absolutely believed that they could just get him in the presence of Jesus. He'd be healed. He'd be able to walk. They were right. He walked away from that. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, there's three verses I want to read for you here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, James chapter 1, verse 3, and 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. In Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery doubts of the wicked one. Take the shield of faith. Over in James chapter 1, verse 3, James writes, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, we read this from the pen of the Apostle Peter, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do we see here? We see in Ephesians, they're talking about the flaming darts of the wicked one, tests that will come their way. James says the testing of your faith. And Peter says, though you see the genuineness of your faith when it is tested. What is so important about our faith? Our faith helps us get through the testing times, the struggling times, the difficult times. It's that faith that keeps us moving forward. It's our faith that strengthens us in our trials. Don't be surprised when you face trials because they're part of life. They're going to happen. James says don't ask God to take the trials away, 
but realize that God is with you through the testing of your faith. The great account of that, of course, is our three friends who went into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were cast into this burning, red-hot furnace that should have consumed them in a moment. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked into that fiery furnace, he didn't see three people walking around there. He saw how many? He saw four. And he said, the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. Or we would say the son of God, because it was Jesus in the fire with them walking around. My friends, when we're in our deepest trials, in fact, when we're in any trials, we're in anything. He never leaves us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why is that true? Because of our faith. As we move on, uh, the seventh thing, this is the last thing I want you to think about in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Another reason why our faith is important. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, we read this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but, love that word, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. What is important here about faith? Justification comes by faith. And so what we're saying here is faith is the very thing that initiates our salvation. There are so many verses in the Bible that remind us of that fact. You know, one of my, some of my favorite ones are found in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not, a, not of works, lest any man should what? Should boast. Over in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you've heard me say this one a lot as well. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith initiates our salvation. God gives us the faith we need to be saved, and he saves us, and he allows us to enter into his family. Faith is so important. These seven reasons make it easy for us to see that we can't overstate the importance of faith. Let me give them to you again one more time. The seven reasons are we need faith to please God. Jesus takes note of the amount of faith we have. Faith allows God to move in our lives. <clears throat> we also see that faith strengthens us in our trials. Number five, faith brings us to life so that we can do the works God called us to do. Faith brings us to life, gives you and I life so we can do the things that God called us to do. We live in faith. When we live in faith, others are encouraged by our faith. People look at us and say, boy, there goes a person of faith. I, that person has a lot of faith. That person believes their God is able to do what he says he will do, and they live their life because of that. And then we see that faith initiates our salvation. Faith is so very important. So this morning, we can't study people of faith without looking at who we might very well consider to be the father of our faith. Any guesses who might be considered the father of our faith? Mark's whispering it. You want to say it out loud for us? Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith. Paul writes about him over in Romans chapter 4 where he says this, And the father of circumcision to those who not only are the circumcision, but 
also who walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Now, you have to unpack that verse a little bit to see what Paul is really saying. In essence, Paul is saying Abraham was, was, was justified by faith, not by works. Abraham was de- demonstrated his faith before he became a child of the circumcision or a child of the covenant or placed under the law. He exercised faith before the law. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Verse 8, he says in chapter 11, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham, in verse 17, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be blessed. So again, we see that Abraham is a man who demonstrates an incredible amount of faith. And those two verses that we read from Hebrews chapter 11 are going to form the basis or the backbone of our study this morning. So as we get started, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we do thank you for the privilege of being here together today as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we ask that you would encourage our hearts through the study of your word this morning. May we be blessed because we've spent time in your house today. But more importantly, Father, may we leave this place a little more like Jesus because we've spent time learning and studying your word together. Father, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, may you help them understand what faith really is all about. And Father, help them to take that that step of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we commit our time in your word this morning together with you, and we ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we get started this morning, you say, Pastor, you've been going for 10 minutes already. But here we are into the, the, the meat of our message, all right? We're going we're gonna to talk about the fact that faith requires action. Faith requires action. Now, I have to tell you this. If I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, I much prefer that to be an action movie than what some people might identify as a chick flick. Okay, I, I want to see the action. I want to see the, the excitement. I want to see the fights and all that kind of stuff because there's action in it. You, you don't usually fall asleep during action movies, okay? So as a Christian, if you're that kind of person, you ought to be thankful that to be a Christian, to have faith, it requires action. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, as well as Genesis chapters 12, 14, and 17. Now, don't worry, we're not going to look at every verse and every chapter of 12, 14, and 17 of Genesis. Okay? We're just going to, I just want you to know that that's really the heart of the story, and it's mentioned again in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. So, first of all, we see this action. Okay? This action requires us a change of location. That's kind of understood when you use the word action, right? Action does not include sitting down and doing nothing. Action requires movement from one place to another, expending energy. Okay, so there's action involved. What's the action in Abraham's case? Well, it was a change of location. Now, Abraham, or Abram, when we first meet him in scriptures, we've been learning this on Sunday nights, Abram is 
comes from a place called Ur. Ur of the Chaldees. Okay, can I tell you this? Ur was not a godly place. Ur was not a place where Christianity or following God thrived. Ur was a bad place. It was a place where, where there was a lot of idolatry going on. Ur was a place where God had to call Ur, Abraham out of Ur, otherwise he would never have grown in his relationship with God. So God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Cali. He's moving from Ur to someplace else. And how many people have moved? Almost everybody's hand has gone up. Okay, um, we counted up the first, probably the first, less than ten years, but we'll use ten years as a as a number. First ten years of our lives, of our marriage. You know how many? You won't even guess how many times we moved. Seventeen. Part of that included back and forth to South Africa a couple of times. Okay, so we moved around a lot. We changed locations a lot. We weren't on the run from anybody. We were just trying to follow the Lord, okay, doing what God wanted us to do. So we moved from one location to another location to another location, back to a location, another lo- We just moved around a lot until we found ourselves in South Africa, okay? We lived in South Africa. The first place we lived for just a little bit under a year, the owner of the place said, we're going to sell it. We would like you to show it for us. I said, no, thank you, because all the showing went on Sunday afternoons. We're kind of busy Sundays, so we'll just move. The next place we moved in, we stayed in for um, 15 years, just about, okay? So we were very excited to finally settle into a place, 7 Popham Street in Tableview. We lived there, we served there, we ministered there. It was a change of location, and we were grateful that God provided us with that place and the opportunity to serve him there, okay? Abraham, however, didn't have that benefit. Every time we moved, we kind of knew where we were going, For Abraham, God said, get up, get out of Ur of the Chaldees, go to a place that I will show you. I'm not telling you ahead of time. When you get there, you'll know it. Okay? So Abraham says, all right, if that's what you want me to do, God, that's what I will do. He left his home. He left everything he couldn't carry with him. Everything that was fixed and and tied down, he left. He left most of his family. He went with his father, Terah, and his nephew, Lot, and his wife. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He left his friends. He left his family in order to be obedient to the call of God in his life. He gave it up to go where God was directing him. We also see from the book of Hebrews that he dwelt in a land as a foreigner. Even though this was the place God was going to give him and his, 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 his descendants as an inheritance, he dwelt in this land as a foreigner. He, he, he couldn't settle down in a concrete place. He moved from one place to another place to another place. He lived in tents. The Bible is very specific. He lived in tents with his children, actually his child and his grandchildren. There was no place for him to call home. He lived as a nomad. But that did not deter him from being obedient to the life and the lifestyle that God called him to. He moved around from place to place in, in, in this location called Canaan, 
that he really didn't know much about. He couldn't even, you know, he, he didn't have to worry about huh, serving on the jury. I get to do that tomorrow, okay? Nobody called him up and said, hey, you got to serve on the jury for so many days uh, because you're part of this community. You got to do this because you're part of the community. You got to do that. No, he wasn't part of a community. He was wandering. He lived in tents. He was a nomad. He, ne- he never had a place that he could really call home. Required a change of location. But you know what? Every time his location changed, it changed because he was obeying God. He was doing what God asked him to do. We also see that it was the challenge of life. Now, life presents us with challenges almost all the time. Day in and day out, we find challenges. Let me remind you a little of the backstory here. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say much about this because Ben's going to get to this story on Sunday nights, and I don't want to steal his thunder. Okay, but here is Abraham. He's a hundred years old. When Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth to their first son, Isaac. Their son, Isaac. Not the son, Ishmael, but their son that God gave to them in fulfillment of a promise. Their son, Isaac. Abraham's 100. Sarah's 90. It's fair to say that Abraham waited his entire life to become a daddy. You know what? Nobody else has ever become a daddy at 100 years old. Nobody. Only Abraham. So he waited his entire life to become the father for the first time. The difference being that no one else waited that long. You know, you might remember when you first became a, a daddy, a father, and the excitement and the joy and, oh, man, can you, look how cute he is. Look at this and look at that. And God's blessed us and, and on and on and on. Every man is excited about the first time that his wife gives birth to their child. There's a joy that just, you just can't really explain until it's happened. It's kind of like being a grandparent. Yes, everybody says being a grandparent is so great. It's cool. It's the best. You don't understand it until it happens to you. Same with being a daddy. Abraham became a daddy when he was 100 years old. Now, several years have passed, probably enough to make Isaac at the very least a teenager, if not in his 20s. Okay, so Isaac has grown up. He's been raised by his mom and dad. And use your imagination now with me. Abraham is probably at least 125 years old could be as much as 135 years old. When God says to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him at an altar where I will show you to make this sacrifice. What? Why? We didn't hear those words come from Abraham, did we? Abraham had waited a hundred years for this child. He's got him now for 25 years, plus minus. And God says, I want you to take this child, your only child, the child of your promise, and I want you to sacrifice him. In fact, he says, as a burnt offering. How many of you have burned food before? If you've burned it so bad that it's not edible, what do you do with it? You throw it out. Okay, what's left when there's a burnt offering? Nothing. 
There's nothing left after a burnt sacrifice. God says, take your son, offer him as a sacrifice. Now, would you agree with me that that's quite a challenge for this man named Abraham? Again, we're not going to get into the details of the story. But God challenges Abraham to trust him in a way that perhaps no other person has ever been challenged to trust God. Offer your son, your only son, on an altar as a burnt sacrifice. Somewhere the writer of Hebrews knew more about this account than Moses did when Moses penned it in the book of Genesis. In verse 19 of Hebrews 11, the writer says, Concluding, Abraham, concluding that God was able to raise him up, that's Isaac, even from the dead, from which he, Abraham, also received him in a figurative sense. This is where we see that the faith of Abraham. Abraham lived in light of the promise that God gave him. The promise to be the father of nations. God told him that Isaac was the child of promise. So Abraham believed God was going to keep his promise through Isaac. Just like he said he would do. You understand why we define faith the way we do. Faith is believing that God is able to do what he says he will do and ordering my life accordingly. Abraham believed that God was able to do what he said he would do. What did he say he would do? He said he would make Abraham a great nation through who? Isaac. So when God told Abraham to offer Isaac up as a burnt sacrifice, what did Abraham do? He obeyed and he believed that God would do something miraculous, incredible, beyond our wildest imaginations, that he would somehow still provide the promise through Isaac because that's what he said he would do. It's like the disciples when Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side. Doesn't matter what happens in the middle in the the sea, just get in the boat and go to the other side. I'll see you over there on the other side. They got in the middle of the sea, and the storm came up, and they panicked, and they said, what are we going to do? You know what they should have done? Sail on, brothers. Sail on. Because Jesus said he's going to meet you on the other side. Are you people of faith? That's why Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Didn't you believe that I was told you I was going to see you on the other side? Didn't you believe I would be there waiting for you? Faith is believing that God is able to do what he says he will do and ordering my life accordingly, regardless of the circumstances in between. For you and I, Jesus has promised, God has promised to us everlasting life. Do you believe it? Do you live like it? Are you willing to Face the trials and the struggles and the difficulties between here and eternity and trust God to bring you through them one way or another. He's going to bring you through physically here in this life or he's going to bring you through by taking you home to glory. Say, Pastor, come on, it's not the same. (laughs) It absolutely is the same. I need to believe that God is able to do what he says he will do and order my life accordingly. So Abraham was asked to go through with this act. 
sacrificing Isaac, even if he went all the way through it and put his son to death, he was confident that God would indeed raise him from the dead. Why? Because he was a man of faith. Faith requires action. We also see in uh, the life of Abraham, you could jump to Genesis 22 or Hebrews eleven seventeen, and you see that faith requires the right attitude. Faith requires the right attitude. Genesis 15 is a great passage of scripture. Ben dealt with this passage in our Sunday night studies of Hebrew history that he's been leading us through. As this chapter begins, we see Abraham's uncertainty. Seeing he's so old, okay? He's an old man now. He's in his 90s, all right? And and guess what? He still doesn't have any children. 90 years old. You got to realize that when you get that old, the likelihood of having children is very small. Zero. So God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, um, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And Abraham says, Really? Have you seen me lately? Do, do, do you know how old I am? And God, of course, says, yeah, I got it all. I know it all. I, I, none of that's hard for me. I understand that you don't think it's going to happen. As this chapter 15 begins, Abraham expresses his uncertainty. If we're honest, even Father Abraham has a little bit of doubt here. He's been told you're going to be the father of a great nation, but he's an old man. Nobody his age has ever had a child. But you know what? He's a great example for us. When things aren't going the way you hope or think they should, don't get bitter. Don't turn your back on God. Instead, talk to him. That's what Abraham did. He talked to God. He said, God, I don't understand. You know how old I am. You know this is impossible. You know I'm struggling with the promise you made me because I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and it's not yet been fulfilled. But Abraham's faith and Abraham's trust in God is cemented in his life. He is seeing God's faithfulness again and again and again. And so what does he do? He tries to imitate the faithfulness of God. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, it says, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Oh, man. Ninety-some years old, you're going to have a child. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, if that's what you say, God, I'll take you at your word. Abraham believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. Where do we see this change in attitude? I think the first place we see him go from doubt to belief is in Genesis 17, where we actually see actions that that, that model his belief. Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, God introduces circumcision to Abraham. Now remember, Abraham now is 99 years old. 99. And God says to him, you've got to be circumcised. What? And God explained to him what he meant by that. You know why they do it to babies when they're uh, first born, right? So they forget about it and it doesn't bother them. 
Having lived in South Africa, we had friends who got circumcised when they were adults. It was not pleasant for them. It was extremely painful. You know the account when the brothers of Dinah, uh, they, they, they said, we'll make a covenant with you guys. You just all have to get circumcised first. And they all got circumcised. And while they were trying to recover from this circumcision, they slaughtered them all because they couldn't move around because they were in so much pain. Okay? Circumcision was a big deal, especially if you're 99 years old. Abraham could have said, God, don't you think there's another way? A, a different way? This is a big deal for Abraham. But notice, Abraham doesn't question God. He doesn't debate God. He doesn't say, but God, that's going to hurt. It's not what he says. He simply did what God told him to do. And he did it straight away. The next time we see it, this attitude changes in Genesis chapter 22. Turn there with me if you would, Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to ask you to stand. We haven't stood to read scripture yet, so I'm going to ask you to stand now. We're going to read Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. Genesis 22. Read it with me from the screen if you would. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we shall come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. Then he said, Look the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. You may be seated. So in this text, we see a, I mean, if we're honest, we have to stop and say, why would God ask him to do that? I mean, Remember, Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldee. You know what Ur of the Chaldee was known for? Child sacrifices. Okay, they had no problem sacrificing their children to their pagan gods. So Abraham has now lived a long time after leaving Ur of the Chaldees, leaving behind those pagan things and following the one true God, seeing his faithfulness, living his life for him, putting his life on the line for him, and simply doing what God asks him to do. He spent his life doing that. And now for some reason, 
God says to Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son, as a burnt offering. What do we learn from all of this? Well, we understand that there needs to be a change of attitude. How does that change of attitude happen? Well, first of all, in verse 1 of chapter 22, the attitude of faith requires hearing. Okay? If you're going to be a person of faith, you need to hear. And who do you need to hear specifically? You need to hear God. Okay, you need to hear God. Now, we see here that God called out to Abraham. I'm always impressed that Abraham not only heard God, but he responded immediately. Again, Abraham's 125 years old. Abraham, God cries out. I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. What'd you say? Be easy not to hear, right? I mean, I sometimes don't hear, and I'm only 57, I guess it is. What'd you say? Can you say that again? Can you say that louder? Not with Abraham. Abraham? Yes, God? What is it that you want? I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. You see, Abraham didn't miss God's voice. Abraham heard him. I wonder sometimes if we miss God's voice. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that God speaks to us today in a literal voice. Now, I'm not saying he can't, but I'm saying that that's not the norm for sure. He doesn't need to because we've got this. We've got all we need to hear God speak to us through the pages of Scripture. Abraham didn't miss God's voice. I want to encourage you not to miss God's voice either. If we are reading, if we are studying, if we are applying God's word to our lives, we will hear God give us direction. We will hear him and see him give us leadership and give us hope. Let me encourage you not to be so busy with life And it could be good things in life, things that you should be doing. But don't get so caught up in doing the things of life that you fail to hear God speak through the the pages of Scripture. After all, Paul reminded us in Romans chapter 10, we've read it already once this morning, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So faith requires hearing. The attitude of faith we also see in our text this morning requires hard work, or the attitude of faith means hard work, working hard. In verses 2 and 3, we see that there's mental hard work in verse 2. We need that imagination that we've been using a little bit this morning. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He and Sarai married, and like all couples of that day, they expected, hoped, and dreamed about what life would be like when they have children and when they grow their family. It was so important for them in that day to have children. If you didn't have children and you were, a bar- you were barren, you were considered to be um, like an outcast. Like God wasn't favoring you. God wasn't with you. You must have done something really bad not to be able to have kids. But God's plan was to delay their family. Over time, 
Abraham and Sarah probably got to the point where they expected that having children just wasn't going to happen for them. It wasn't going to be something that they got to enjoy. And now, after a hundred years of waiting, you and I can't imagine that. But after a hundred years of waiting, God finally gives them a child. God gives them the promised child, the one that through this child, there would be many more to come. There would be nations born out of this child. And now they've had him for 25 to 30 years. And God is saying to Abraham, offer him up on an altar as a sacrifice. That's got to be a hard process. But again, we see Abraham. What does he do? He simply starts obeying. He was in the habit of obeying. And so he just kept doing it. Just doing what God asks him to do. We try to teach our children, just do the next right thing. We might not know what the next ten right things are to do, but God always lets us know and understand what the next right thing is to do. Just keep doing the next right thing. The more you trust him, the more he will give you information. Keep trusting, keep doing what he asks you to do. So the mental struggle that Abraham had to work through to be willing to sacrifice his child. Not only is there the mental hard work, but there's the physical hard work to go along with it. Verse 3 tells us that he cut the wood for the burnt offering. You realize that this is not just a sacrifice. As we've said, it is a burnt offering. Once you offer the burnt offering, there's nothing left. You don't get anything back once it's done. Physically, Abraham cut the wood for the burnt offering. And it wasn't just a little bit of wood. He had to build the altar, and then he had to put the wood on the altar. And so he had a lot of wood that he cut. And remember, he's at least 125 years old. When's the last time you were 125 years old and you cut wood? No hands? Of course not. Because that just doesn't happen. So there's the hard work of cutting wood. And then, physically, they journeyed three days to the place of the offering. Journeyed three days. You notice when, verse 2, it says he got up and he saddled his what? His donkey. Now, most likely... He didn't ride the donkey. You know what a donkey is, right? It's a beast of burden. So the donkey was used to carry all the wood that he cut and the other supplies. So they walked three days to get to where it was that God wanted them to be. That's hard work. I've never walked for three days. When we were growing up, we used to have the, these walkathons. Okay? So we went on walkathons. They were they were several miles long. We raised money for every mile you walked and all that kind of stuff. But I never walked three days in a row all day long to get someplace. Verse four says that they saw the place afar off. So after three days of walking, they see the place afar off. They got more walking ahead of them. You know what? When you're 125 years old, that's hard work. I can tell you, 
some of the hardest days work in my life have been working for the Lord. And I'm not saying this to boast, but I remember when I was a teenager, my brother was going to a, a church called Beacon Baptist Church, and they were getting ready to build their church. And he, he had asked me, he said, do you want to come up and stay with me for a week? Sure. I mean, I was a teenager. That ought to be fun. I didn't know he was going to work all day and I was going to be by myself. Uh, so he drops me off at the site for Beacon Baptist Church and he says, hey, uh, Pastor Watkins is going to need some help today, so I thought you could help him. Okay. Next thing I know, this truck, this semi-truck, flatbed truck shows up full of sheetrock. Now, at that point in time in my life, I was probably about five foot six and weighed about 90 pounds. Pastor Watkins was probably about six foot something and maybe weighed 125 pounds. Truck driver shows up. He says, I'm not helping you unload this stuff. You know, double stacked sheetrock, double sheets of sheetrock. Some of them are eight foot. Some of them are 10 foot. Some of them were 12 foot. I say were because by the time we got them to the, to the, the shell of the building, they weren't 12 foot anymore. They broke along the way. Those sheets of sheetrock weighed more than we did. And I can tell you, at the end of that day, I was wore out. I didn't want to do anything that night when my brother came home and said, you want to go do that? No. Another day, every year, we had to, at Camp Mantuma, we had to repair and paint the pool. And this was not a little pool, okay? They usually had two to three hundred campers on the grounds. So this was a big pool. We drained all the water out of the pool, and it was just the very beginning of summer, maybe in late May, and they do get summer a little earlier than we do. It was a hot day. So we're in the pool, in the deep end of the pool. We're now 10 feet deep in this pool, and we're pushing all the water to the middle so it can all be drained out, and then we're going around because it's so hot, the, the, the pool is drying quickly, 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 so we go around, we start patching. And, and the, the chlorine that we had dumped in there days before is kind of, you know, it's a little overwhelming. And we're like, man, it's getting hot in here. And we're patching and we're fixing and we're doing this and we're doing that. And finally we get it all done so the next day we can start filling it again. I remember climbing up out of the pool and being so, never, never that thirsty in all of my life than I was on that day. I drank, and I drank, and I drank, and I drank, and you know what I drank? At that point in time, I, had all, I could have all the soda I wanted because we were working at camp. Soda didn't cut it for me. Had to be water, because that's what quenched the thirst. That was, one of my, that was another hard, hard day of work for me. I, I, I still remember that thirst that I could not quench. One other day, well, we've had the opportunity, the privilege of building two church buildings. One in South Africa and one here. You can imagine, we've put in some hard day's work building those buildings. Well, I mean, I, I, I was going to show it to you, but it's kind of gross, this picture. I, and I remember the day, because it was a work day, it was a church work day, and we had worked hard all morning. And there was this lady in our church, Cara, who, who liked, she was a hugger, okay? And, and Cara came, and she brought some lunch, and we were all hungry, and I, I looked a mess. I mean, my face was dirty. My clothes were dirty, the cement dust all over the place. I had eaten a cookie not too long ago. And somebody took a picture, and I got this filthy face, this cookie kind of hanging out of my mouth. And I walked up to Car and I said, hey, would you like a hug? And she says, no way! 
She never refused hugs. I was so dirty, I was filthy. She didn't want any hug from me. That was a hard day of work. When we work for God, whether it's physically laboring to build a building or something else, we, it takes hard work. We work hard for God. We do what God has called us to do. Being a follower of Jesus means you're going to put in some hard, long days of work. God never said being a follower of him would be easy. Who was it that sang the song, I never promised you a rose garden? God didn't either. He expects us to work hard. So being the attitude of faith requires hard work. We also see in verses 4 through 7 that the attitude of faith can cause hardship. Not only hard work, but hardship. Get this picture in your mind. Abraham knows what's about to happen. Isaac doesn't have a clue. They get down off the donkey, or maybe they were just walking the whole way and, and used the donkey to carry the supplies. Abraham, as soon as they get ready to move towards the, the place of the offering, he starts to load up his son Isaac with the wood for the sacrifice. You see the picture? The wood for Isaac's sacrifice is Isaac is being asked to carry the wood. Can I tell you something? It took me a long time to understand this and know this. The hill that Abraham and Isaac were going to walk up was very likely the same hill that Jesus walked up. And remember, Jesus carried his own wood for the cross, for the sacrifice. There's some incredible pictures here. Isaac, Abraham's only son, is going to be sacrificed. Isaac is asked to carry his wood for his sacrifice to the place of sacrifice. Abraham is going to kill his son when they reach their destination. He, he's got to be broken up inside. The hardship he has to be dealing with. And then it gets worse. They start towards the destination and Isaac pipes up with this question. Now I'm guessing there wasn't a lot of talking going on once they left the donkeys and the servants. Because Abraham doesn't have much to say. Isaac says to him, hey, dad, um, I, I notice that we have the fire. You're carrying that. And we have the wood. I'm carrying that. But uh, something missing here. I, I don't see the lamb. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? So obviously the family had worshipped together. Isaac knew what was entailed with a sacrifice. And he knew that something key was missing in the equation. So the inquisitive mind of young Isaac and the heartbreak of father Abraham, yeah, this is a recipe for hardship. Yet they move forward in obedience. Probably no more questions, probably no more talk after that as they journey to the place of sacrifice. And then in verses 5 and verse 8, we see the attitude um, of hope. You see, if you're going to be a person of faith, you have to have hope. I, I don't know about you, but if I'm honest with you, I, I'm not sure how willing I'd be to be Abraham in this situation. I would hope that I'd be willing and be obedient as he was, but I know this, it wouldn't have been easy. I mean, when my kids hurt, I hurt. I would never want to put my child to death 
for that, for any reason, okay? But Abraham had the right attitude, and I think one of the key things in having the right attitude is to have hope. How do we know he had hope? Well, we see it in verse 5, when he told his servants to wait with the supplies and the donkeys. He said this, he said, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there, where they saw it afar off, we'll go over there and worship and come again to you. Hmm. He didn't say, I'll come again to you. The, the whole sentence is in the plural. We'll go worship, we'll go take care of what we need to take care of, and we'll come back to you. There was a hope in his heart that God was going to work it out. He probably wasn't sure how, but because he had faith, he had hope. We also see in verse 7, when Isaac asked the question, where's the lamb? Abraham answered, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And we get to verse 19 of Hebrews 11. It gives us insight into the thoughts of Abraham. Listen to the inspired writer of scripture when he talks about the faith of our father. He says in verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, what, was the, what were the promises? That I will make you a great nation through Isaac. He who had received that promise offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding, I love this, concluding that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And then we see the humor of the writer of Hebrews where he says from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, when you're 99 years old and you get a, you get a child, you get him from the dead because that's what you are. You shouldn't be able to have children at 99 years old. He got them from the dead, and he's going to get them back from the dead. If God can make him from the dead once, why couldn't he do it again? Absolutely, God can. We see hope right here. He knew God was able to do what he promised he would do. His faith gave him hope. Let's remember as followers of the one true God, when there seems to be no hope... There is hope in our great God. Why? Because he is the God of hope. He is the God who gives us hope even when there seems to be no hope. Father Abraham indeed was a man of faith. His example of faith is recorded a number of times in the New Testament. We read some of them this morning, Romans and Hebrews and, and other places. We can read the stories in the Old Testament. We can see the affirmation in the New Testament. But how does that happen? How do we live like Abraham lived? How do we commit to doing what is right and being people of faith? There's a new song, we heard it yesterday. I've heard it a time or two before. But I think this song helps capture what would allow us as followers of Jesus, people of faith, to follow the example that Abraham said. Here's the words from the song. It's called First Things First by a group called Consumed. All the things that I have held dear, the vanities that whispered in my ear, what would I do if they all disappeared? Riches and fame, all that they could buy, I've come to find they never satisfy. What would I gain if my soul's the price? I don't want to love what the world loves. I don't want to chase what the world does. I only want you, 
I only want you, God. First things first. I seek your will, not my own. Surrender all my heart, all my wants to you. Keep the first thing first. To live your truth, walk your ways, set my eyes. Lord, I fix my face on you, all my desires reversed. To keep the first thing first. I give it all. My life and offering, my heart is yours. So have your way in me. Your kingdom's all I want to seek. I don't want to love what the world loves. I don't want to chase what the world does. I only want you. I only want you. First things first. I seek your will, not my own. Did you catch that line there? Lord, I fix my face on you. The idea of fixing my face on someone or something is you're, you're looking at that and you don't take your eyes off it until you get there. I fix my face on you, all my desires reverse. I love that line. My earthly, my human desires are often set on what I want. But the song says, all my desires reverse, not what I want, but what you want. To keep the first thing first. May that be the desire of our heart. To make and keep the first thing first. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning being reminded of the importance of faith in our lives. Faith gets us through the difficulties. Faith helps us even sometimes struggle forward. What a challenge it must have been for Abraham to live a life of faith. Father, what, a, what an example. Abraham knew what you said. He believed your promise. And he lived his life. He ordered his life accordingly. He changed his life so that he would show others that he believed you. No matter what struggle was going on in his life, he believed that you would bring him through it. That you would allow him to make it to the point where he saw his son Isaac become the, the one that you would fulfill the promise of great nations coming through him. Father, thank you for this example. Help us to be like Abraham and even like Isaac, to be people of faith who want to do what you ask us to do no matter what. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.